Despite what beautiful, glossy social media and advertisers would have us believe, making it through life's challenges is not summed up in five easy steps. And we don't find peace in the storms of life from a handbag, face cream, or the latest sneakers. Life is challenging. And sometimes life is stage four metastatic cancer challenging. So how do we make it through all that life throws at us? Hi, I'm Jane Chalon, and I have had the privilege, honor, and blessing of working with cancer patients since 2011 as the palliative care chaplain at Yale New Haven Hospital. As I have listened to patients over the years process their living, dying, healing, and not healing, I have been struck again and again by the profound spiritual insights and resilience that have surfaced in our meetings, and I've often thought that these incredible nuggets of truth should not be for my ears alone, but instead should be offered to the world. Now I know that cancer patients often hear that they are an inspiration. They're so brave and so strong. And for most patients, this is the last thing they wanna hear as they're crawling into bed exhausted after just a walk around the block. But I also know that you do not need to be a published best-selling author You do not need an alphabet of degrees after your name. You do not need a fancy job title or a million followers on Instagram to have a profound, unique, and important perspective on life and how to survive and even how to thrive in the midst of it all. The patients, caregivers, and clinicians that you will hear from have been through it all, supported it all, and seen it all. The stories, interviews, and voices you will hear in this podcast will change you. They've changed me, and I have watched as they've changed others. So get ready to laugh, cry, and be moved to a deeper place. Get ready to find a way forward. Welcome to In the Midst of It All. I am delighted to welcome... Jeannie Marty. I've known Jeannie for about seven years now. We first met during one of her appointments with Dr. Putnam in our palliative care clinic. She told me that she had been undergoing treatments for years. She was now on oxygen and managing her treatments, side effects, and pain, all while raising three amazing children with her husband, Angel. Despite all that she was going through, I was so struck in this first meeting of ours, Jeannie, Mm -hmm. by your bright spirit and very clear faith. Mm -hmm. Jeannie is one of the first women to be ordained as a pastor in the Assemblies of God Church. Whether Jeannie is preaching in a church, resting in a hospital room, or handing out food to the homeless on the street, Jeannie is truly a pioneer and a generous, generous pastor. She's one of the founding members of the first palliative care prayer groups at Smilo. Others in the group have been so, so incredibly moved and inspired by her story and her words of encouragement in the group that even patients who haven't been able to attend for years will ask about her years later. You will find her writing in several Yale New Haven Health and Smilo publications, including In Our Words, Spirituality Through Our Struggle and in Centerpoint Magazine, which you can all search for in smilo.org. Jeannie's always ready to take time to help others in new and exciting Smilo programs, including this one. Mm -hmm. I have every confidence that after listening to her today, you will find yourself remembering her story and inspired by her courage, faith, and compassion You are in for more than a treat today. I might even go so far as to say that your life may be changed by listening to Jeannie. I know that mine definitely has been. It's my great honor and privilege to welcome the Reverend Jeannie Marty to our program. (laughs) Thank Thank you, Jane. That's really being here. (laughs) That's a real impressive intro. Thank you. I feel the same about you, your encouragement and selfless um, just work with everyone at the clinic is amazing. I've seen quite a few chaplains in my day being there and 
you are definitely the most um, open-hearted and spirit-filled, yeah. honestly, that I've seen. And that's what people need when they're sick. You know, we need hope and faith. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jeannie. <laughs> I'm so glad we've met. <laughs> Same here. Well, so we've met, we know each other really well, um, but I wonder if you could just start out um, by introducing yourself to, to those who are listening and tuning in. Sure. So let's see. Um, mother of three, one girl, two boys, uh, moved here in Connecticut maybe 17 years ago and um, kind of still a city slicker. <laughs> But to have enjoyed the people I've met here in Connecticut, um, I did get my diagnosis at Yale and have really experienced a lot of great things um, spiritually while I'm here. Um, although in New York, I was doing a lot more what you would call ministry. Um, God definitely shifted things when I moved here in that ministry is not just in front of a pulpit or even something that's organized. Um, but it's really just being Jesus, whatever you are in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And so I've been growing. I feel like I continue to grow every day. Um, okay. Basically my story is that in my place of suffering and trial, I hang on to God and I invite other people to just watch. Yeah. 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 So, so could you tell us um, a little bit more about how, how it all began and what that was like for you, how it being, how did the, this illness all begin? So it started when I was, um, well, when I was pregnant with my third child, um, I produced too much of this hormone that causes the morning sickness. So almost immediately after finding out I was pregnant, I was put on IVs and at home. Uh, I couldn't keep anything down. So I was pretty much being fed and given vitamins and all that through infusion. Um, so during the fifth month, I contracted two bacteria that went into my bloodstream and then a blood clot that shut off into my lungs. Um, I had been in the doctor's office for a few minutes when I went into convulsions. I was having fevers for about a month prior to that. And at the time, no one could find the cause. Um, so I ended up in the ICU and they were trying to prevent the baby from being born at five months. Um, I stood in the hospital till he was born at almost, he was about two months and a week premature. At that point, they couldn't um, keep the, my water broke, so they couldn't stop the delivery. So miraculously, he was born breathing on his own and doing pretty well. He was in the NICU, um, but they really weren't expecting him to um, survive, really. And if he did, it wasn't looking good. Um, but yeah, he was a feisty, transparent little um, fighter and he made it through. So I, we all thought that the fevers, the rashes and a lot of the symptoms I was having were due to the blood clot and the infection that had been treated. Um, my white counts then were plunging and no one could figure anything out. I went home after three weeks um, after he was born and we both came home together, which was also amazing. But two days later, I went back into the hospital. The fevers never stopped. They would be fevers of about 103, 104 that would continue for about six years after that. Um, so basically that was the beginning of trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I've been to every hospital in New York City, had every biopsy and every test imaginable. Um, I was diagnosed three different times, uh, wrong diagnosed. Um, and then when I came here to Connecticut, Yale was the first one to figure it out. It took a while, but they figured it out. Yeah, yeah. So what was the exact diagnosis then at that point? And what did when they first, tell you about? Yeah, for Yale, what did they, 
what did they say you had and and what did they say so it was anti-sensitase syndrome so basically that's what it is is a syndrome and so there are people who can have that without having any of the connective aspects to it of diagnosis so in my case i have that i have myositis there's been connective cancers attached to that um i've had um fibrosis of the lungs abnormal lymph nodes throughout the body um now the liver has also um has a lot of fibrosis so it, it pretty much the disease kind of targets uh, particular organs and mm -hmm. kind of destroys them so that's why i am pursuing double lung transplant and a bone marrow at some point um, I was initially looking into having a bone marrow, um, but when my lungs worsened after a bout of pneumonia, my lungs declined, I was then referred to lung transplant first because it would be too dangerous uh, respiratory-wise to do a bone marrow. Wow. Okay. So, and hopefully my lung, my liver will hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's all kind of a balance then, right. To get to the, to the double lung transplant. Um, it and is. It's been for years too, right. This has been yeah. this one. For... I started, um, I guess I started when I was in New York, they had referred me to Columbia and then they turned me down. And then I was referred to many different once I came to Connecticut to maybe five hospitals, mm. most of them just looked at my paperwork and declined to even see me because I was too high risk. Mm. Um, and then I have a very good pulmonary that will keep pushing until she okay. gets me in somewhere. And so she actually revisited going to Columbia, New York. And the second time I went, which was years later, um, one of the transplant doctors looked at me and he said, Hey, you look a lot better in person than on paper. And wow. he pretty much decided to fight on my behalf with the team of like 14 people and asked them to give me a shot. So right now I'm at Columbia, I'm on their non-active list. Okay. And I've been there for some years now, about five or six years or so, maybe more. Yeah. So your youngest, the one that you were pregnant with when all of this started, he's now he's 18. Turning, <laughs> turning 18 or 19. He's going to be 19 this oh coming week. He's 18. So it's, it's almost been 20 years. Yes. But when you were first diagnosed, I know they didn't think that this was possible. What no, can you I, kind of talk um, if you're comfortable talking with that uh, uh, with us about that period where, you know, you were given one prognosis and what that was like and kind of how right. you came out of that. So my first prognosis was in New York, first oncologist I saw. And at the time they were giving me a trial chemotherapy. You're trying to deal with the different diagnoses. And so there's different aspects to it, whether it's the esophagus or the liver or the lungs. So um, my baby was maybe four months when I went to see him. And I remember he specifically said, well, you have about a year and a half. A year and a half. A wow. year and a half. And I was like, wow. So I'm looking at this infant now and my other two children. Um, but then years passed and I was diagnosed. One of the last two was two to five years is the standard for antisensitase, um, given the type of connective um, diagnosis. And then if I look online, it's uh, five to eight years. And then you have if you just look at myositis by itself, or if you just look at the lung involvement by itself, that has a bunch of different prognoses, each one. Yeah. yeah. Um, none of them are long. Uh, yeah. So obviously I've su surpassed all that. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. So I don't even count anymore. Honestly, I think I've lost track of my years and because I just don't look at that anymore. Yeah. 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 But there was a period too, I know we've talked about and you wrote about it too, about um, living under this tremendous certainty that was brought on by what you called the dark cloud of my prognosis. Um, mm. and, and you wrote, you know, in one of your pieces about how you had this night, you know, where you couldn't sleep one of many, I'm sure. And, um, especially with an infant and, um, turned to one of your journals and found, you know, a promise you had written promise to God that, you know, I will trust you no matter what life brings my way. Um, and that, that really kind of changed things for you. Um, so yeah, I wonder if you could share about that. Cause I'm sure there's some people listening who, you know, there are people in all different places listening, but there might be some folks out there that are facing, you know, really difficult prognosis and, um, and kind of how did you, um, how did you find your way kind of out of that dark cloud? Mm. So there's no doubt that with a prognosis like that, there is a cloud of uncertainty. I mean, the cloud still hangs over me. It's yeah. just, it's, a, it's deciding what to do when that cloud seems to seem bigger over you. Um, so yeah, so I think the first three years, I would say after my, my real diagnose, which was when I was here in Connecticut, um, I guess the first three years, I was pretty much waiting to die. I was on aggressive chemotherapy. I was about 89 pounds, very frail. Um, with the myositis, I was having a lot of trouble walking. My muscles uh, were just not working. My legs were like lead pipes. So I was um, using a wheelchair at the time. I have a custom wheelchair actually that I still use as a reminder downstairs, in my basement. But um, I remember after three years of almost waiting and being so consumed with how quickly everything spiraled downhill, um, I had an invitation to, to share at a healing service. Someone called me from a church. I hadn't preached at that point in a while. And I said no. And the reason was I felt that I wasn't the poster board child for healing and health. And so I felt, how would I get up and share anything in this state? So after I went to sleep and reading, I was reading through all my journals. Um, one of the things that I had wrote in my journal was that when I first um, kind of accepted the call of God was that I said, I would trust him no matter what. Yeah. You know, and it's easy to say that when you're in a good place spiritually, you know, yeah. all this faith comes up and you're like, yes, I'll trust you no matter what. Yeah. Well, this was the what. And yeah. So that night I went to sleep and I had a dream of different people um, coming up in a service to the pulpit and, and receiving prayer and healing. And I just heard God speak to my heart and say, don't deny anyone what I want to give them based on what I haven't given you. Hmm. And so I called the next morning and said, Hey, did you find anyone to fill that spot? They said, no. Um, so I did, I went and sure enough, that was the turning point. I remember I went to the service. It was maybe two days after that whole thing. And just as I saw, there were certain people that came up to the front at the end. And not to mention, not only to mention that after this whole day was awful, I was in a lot of pain and I was um, taking a lot of morphine. It wasn't helping. But as soon as I got up to that pulpit and the minute I just, I guess, stepped out in faith, I felt pain. I didn't feel pain. I wasn't coughing. One of the things that was difficult, I would usually choke or cough whenever I talked. Mm. Uh, and none of that was happening. I mm. felt stronger than ever. And the people came forward. They received prayer. And everything shifted for me. I no longer kept 
waiting or um, expecting death. I just said, I'm not going to continue to try to, I can't control it. I can't determine what my future looks like, but I'm just gonna live. And that did something spiritually and physically because it allowed me to continue to walk um, in light of all the symptoms and the fevers and all the different things. I was able to continue to just move forward and not look back to all the prognosis and things that were said. Yeah. 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 And you, you've talked about too, just kind of surrendering to and letting yeah. go. Yeah. It's a decision. Thank God. Like with everything else, it really is. It's a decision and okay. So what do I do? I'm in this place. Um, whatever it is in our lives, it's making that decision whether to be overcome by the circumstance yeah. or to just surrender the fear, the control, whatever it is, or trying to control. You know, most people, when they get sick, one of the things that I think we all do that, and it's normal, um, is that we try to, I call it, heal thyself. Mm. You know, you, you go to all these different, you look for either, um, different medical things or natural medicine and those things are good however you could really exhaust yourself in trying to heal yourself and trying to get solution hmm. and and it can be very discouraging as well so it's important to just surrender yeah. that to God and he will then guide you as to what you should do if yeah. you should do anything yeah yeah. And that's so that's making me think also about a topic that's come up a lot in our prayer group um, where, you know, believers, Christians have gone, you know, to a healing prayer service um, and someone comes up and says, oh, you're going to be healed and don't worry about that chemo or, you know, <laughs> God's going to take care of you and all of that. And I feel like you have some really wise insight on that as well. And you've really helped um, a lot of people kind of navigate that. Um, yeah. So do you want to share kind of sure. your so, thoughts on that? <laughs> and, you know, it's, I guess it's part of how we've been taught and healing is absolutely for the believer, right? It's in the Bible and, and God is definitely for healing. However, there's, uh, there's this this understanding or this thought that if something bad happens or if I'm sick, then God is not with me. Mm-hmm. And that's so not true. He, yeah. he never told us that nothing bad would happen. He told us he would be with us through, through the fire, through the waters. He would be with us through affliction. Uh, if you read from Job all the way to the New Testament, Old Testament, it's God has always been with people during their worst times and he is a restorer and he is a healer and healing is not just through natural medicine or through um, not doing anything and it happening supernatural, although that can happen. But for the most part, God also uses medicine and he's given doctors wisdom. And I believe that even the side effects and the the bad parts of those treatments God can even protect us from. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just going with his leading in each situation, Mm -hmm. in each decision. There's no 12 steps to healing. And so a lot of times you do, I've experienced that a lot um, when you go to church and it's clear that I'm ill. You don't really need to ask me because I have this <laughs> visual with the oxygen or hair loss. And so I do tend to attract people that mean well. I do believe that they mean well, but will come over and will question my walk with God or, or if I have enough faith or um, give me a lot of advice that's not really um, useful. Mm-hmm. or try to pray and demand healing, mm-hmm. um, you know, or question even why I've been, if I'm such a person of faith, why am I still so sick? Um, 
And so all those things have to be surrendered so that we can actually allow God in because all those things actually hinder the work of God. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is a very individual and each person he manifests himself in a different way. And so there's not a certain way to talk about healing or even pray for healing. It's just how is it that God wants to move in a person? Yeah. I love the story in the Bible of the boy who was blind and the disciples asked Jesus, so who sinned, the boy, his parents? You know, there was already this assumption that yeah. some sin. So someone did something and that's why they're like that. And that is a big mindset and even doctrine that runs around in yeah. most church circles. Um, and, and, you know, Jesus said nothing, no one is that God would be glorified because mm -hmm. the thing is that God is glorified when we are in that place where there's nothing left, but him, that's actually where he moves the most. Yeah. 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 And I'm just thinking too, that, you know, early on in our group, so we have in our group, people who have blown way past their prognosis, you know, people who, I've done you like yourself. I mean, decades, you know, so well, and it's always such a great praise report, you know, but we've also had people in our group who have passed on. And I remember kind of your um, also just, you know, support of the group too. And, um, and thoughts about that, that, you know, we don't always know um, right. what's going to come and, um, and healing, you know, in this life is not always what we see um, right what we think and that's the thing that we don't know we don't know how much time we don't know those are the unknowns yeah. in this world and and that's okay um it's more about living every day for god and enjoying the moment and understanding that we are creating memories every single day whether we're sick or not we're creating memories with our families, with our loved ones. Um, yeah. And I think just being in a place of uncertainty, it, it, what it can do is actually cause a person to really cherish the things that they have mm -hmm. and be grateful for the things that we so easily take for granted. It's so easy to take things for granted and take people for granted yeah. until it's threatened. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, you've done so well with your family too. And even with the oxygen, I know a lot of people get oxygen and they think, oh, my life is going to be tied to this wall or to, you know, home. And, you know, you've visited a friend in Toronto and, you know, took that bag all over the place and, you know, took your, your family down to um, see the wild horses and, I think even just had a, did you go on a cruise or something at some cruise. point? And, yeah. Oh my it's goodness. 3,000 people with yeah. an autoimmune problem. Before COVID, of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. found ways and found ways even to just, you know, going to the beach or a picnic or whatever it is that, you know, you guys have found ways going overnight, you know, for in the little cabin here and there. Yes. Find, found ways to make special memories and even in COVID you know um, <laughs> Thanksgiving's where one you know kids are outside the window and you're right and everything we had to definitely get creative yeah and you'd be surprised how creative you get when you're desperate yeah. um, so for I forget how many years it was a good I don't know I would say maybe six years I had only the concentrator that the oxygen company gives you. Uh, most insurances won't pay for a personal concentrator to travel with. You can't fly yeah. with a cylinder tank. Those are not yeah. allowed on airplanes or, any, or a lot of places. So eventually we did um, a fundraiser and raised money to get a personal concentrator. And that was just awesome. I wasn't able to travel more than four hours anywhere for so many years, for several years. And then once I get this concentrator, I just took off. And so 
I was able to convince my husband at the time to take a cruise. I've always wanted to go on one, but of course, for someone with an autoimmune problem with very little immunity, I mean, I would get infections just from anything and everything. So yeah. to take a cruise with 3000 people wasn't wise. And my husband wasn't on board. Um, and I also needed a doctor to sign off on that. So eventually I did, I got a doctor that believes in quality of life to sign off. I bought semester insurance to wow. kind of just have that. And that also helped my family feel better. And we went on this cruise. I was careful as to refrain from going to the crowded areas and try to navigate while I was there. Mm -hmm. um, but we had a great time. We went yeah. through the beaches of the Caribbean with this concentrator and did a lot of fun stuff. I actually went into the water for the first time. because uh, I For years, I've never been able to go into like a jacuzzi or even just the ocean because um, yeah. I would get infections from anything. Yeah. And so during that time, my husband went on this excursion that I scheduled for them. And I thought, well, let me just, you know, wet my feet a little bit. And when I saw how clear and beautiful the water was, I rationalized that it was salt water. Before you know <laughs> it, I'm completely immersed. First time in 10 years at that point. And so my husband came back and said, are you wet? I said, yeah, I am. I said, did you go in the water? Said, yeah, you know, at this point, we might as well just go for it. Yeah. God protected me and nothing happened. Wow. Uh, but we did learn to have a lot of fun and just really every birthday every holiday um was a real celebration and i don't think just for myself but for my family your kids too yes yeah 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 and so um you know i don't i don't know how comfortable you feel you know a lot of this is so personal too so you can always say oh no but um for so many years, you were the sick one, you know, you were the one that everyone worried about. And then that all changed um, in January yeah. 2019. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, so all those years, my husband was very good at capturing every moment. He was always with the camera and taking pictures and videos and just making sure that the children had memories and pictures. Um, so he was the healthy one. He really was. Um, he had, as a matter of fact, I think two years um, before 2019, he had, um, you know, had a little bit of high blood pressure and he had gained a little bit of weight. And I said, you know, I really want my children to have at least one healthy parent. It's important that they have one healthy parent, yeah. you know, and just kind of asked him to take care of himself. And, you know, he says, well, you know, you're going to be here, you know, you've been here this long. And so we had that conversation at, during that time where I was letting him know that although God has ascended my life, if I should pass, there are certain things that we needed to take care of. And then mm -hmm. it was okay that I was okay with that. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of preparation. And then in 2019, he was feeling sick. Um, I've known him since I was a teenager. And so to see him so sick that he wasn't able to kind of get up and do his daily activities um, was unusual. So he went to urgent care. They told him they thought he had a stomach flu. So I had just had chemo. Um, maybe the day before. So he stood far away from me because he didn't want me to get the stomach flu. So there was about two days where I wasn't able to see the progress or the decline rather in what was happening. And then on the second day he wasn't eating and that's also something that wasn't anything I ever saw before. Um, and my daughter took him to the ER. So the next thing I know, I get a call from her that he was in heart failure and his organs were shutting down. So I usually don't go into the emergency room normally. I either get directly admitted 
or I'm put into isolation as soon as I get there. Um, but I wasn't a patient, but I needed to get there. So I did. This was right before COVID. So I put a mask on and went in and was trying to find out what was going on. They told me that they weren't sure, but that his organs and his heart um, were failing. They were putting him on some kind of support system. Um, we were waiting for him to go into the cardiac ICU. So I went home, um, I think at two in the morning. Hmm. He was stable at that point. By then he had been in the cardiac ICU. I know you came down that one night and got to meet him in person and we prayed yeah. together. And I went home. I got a call maybe a few hours after that saying to, you know, please come that he had stopped breathing and they were resuscitating. And as soon as I walked into the glass doors and saw the doctors coming my way and then I saw a bunch of doctors trying to resuscitate him I knew I knew and I, I've experienced a lot of death within friends and family and I even did a lot of um, hospice pastoral work mm. but this was nothing like that yeah I mean my legs completely gave out and everything was a fog for the next few months the shock was yeah. just unbelievable because I never thought that it just didn't make sense yeah. and never thought that he would his um autopsy revealed that he didn't have any cardiac problems at all with his heart it was a virus that's rare and it can target anyone really at any point and usually it's fatal yeah so that was pretty much what happened yeah 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 so it was that huge shift huge shift yeah. in your family and suddenly you were now finding your way your own way to um appointments and treatments and um I remember you talking about all the people who you encountered in the community too, and neighbors who were just coming forward, yes. how yes. amazing he was <laughs> to them. And they still do. They still yeah. come forward and yes, just how much you learned about him too. You know, that he yes. was so quietly generous. He was, he was a yeah. big giver when it came to believing God, even with finances and with things that we needed his faith fight just so much bigger than mine in that yeah. area and so he did he was a real he just had such compassion for mm -hmm. people like I've never seen and so right after he died all these neighbors came by and one by one they would all tell me stories of different times that he prayed for this one and he did this for that one mm -hmm. and so I feel like I've been reaping what he sowed and mm -hmm. I still am I still have those neighbors call whenever there's a storm or I have one neighbor that checks on us every few weeks and makes sure that we're okay and so there's been a real um shift in the neighborhood even really where this kind wow. of um cordial wow. relationship has now been almost like a family community wow. within the few that are that live closest to me yeah that's so good that's so good so it is and it's it reveals who god is because there's things that i can't create these situations mm. even if i tried mm. these are situations that are just happening and it's just god at work mm. it's not anything that i'm doing or someone else is doing it's yeah. just God healing himself. He comes to the widow and the orphan. He comes to the brokenhearted. Yeah. And he's just yeah. being God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you think about kind of one of those examples maybe that, um, where it just felt really. Oh, wow. It seems, well, once my husband died, 
first, I didn't know any of the passwords to anything. So that was a whole three month kind of disaster. I also had to pursue probate um, just because yeah. the cars weren't in my name. We, we had taken some of my name out of certain things. And so because of that- You, you were preparing for your- Right. So I had to now open up this whole probate case. And there were just so many things that he was also taking care of that I no longer had any knowledge of. So I had to kind of jump into that really quickly. My children were devastated and in shock because now not only did they lose their healthy parent who was the one that took them to all the events and all the things that I couldn't. I couldn't go to children's parties because of the whole germ factor and my immune system. So he was the one that spent a lot of the time with them doing all these activities and different things. So he... Um, you know, the kids were devastated. I was um, downstairs in the basement dealing with this disaster of a mess of things with the house. And I was just crying out to God. And I said, God, I don't feel like I, I don't feel your mercy. You're a merciful God, but I don't feel it. Mm -hmm. And I need to feel mm -hmm. yeah. you around me because I felt so, um, there's something about the your the husband and the you know and being he's like a protector right and he's covers over the home and so when that's removed there is I felt exposed and very vulnerable mm. and that's what I was feeling that night and I was just saying God you know I need your help I needed um I had to pay the mortgage and I remember at the time I didn't even have income yet and mm -hmm. so I was saying God how am I going to do all this and so I come upstairs because my bell was ringing. It's 10 o'clock at night. And mm -hmm. a friend of mine, her husband, who I hadn't seen in a long time, said, I am so sorry to show up at this time. But I was at the gas station. And I just, you just kept coming to mine. And eventually I just had to come. And he goes, I don't know why I'm here. Wow. He said, I know I have to give you something, he says. And I don't know why I'm here, but... I am. <laughs> and I said, I know why you're here. Wow. So I asked him in. I told him what was happening. Uh, we prayed together. And then he says, um, like, God told me to give you some money, but it's like a really odd number. It wasn't an even number. Or, and I said, wow. really? so I took the envelope, did not open it till after he was gone. When I opened up the envelope, it was pretty much exactly what I needed for my mortgage. Wow. So that was just one of the different times. Yeah. You know, I've had like the boiler guy that knew my husband. <laughs> you know, he came maybe two months after there was something wrong with my old boiler. And he came in and said, Hey, where's the big guy? Where's my friend? And I said, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, he passed away in the guy was just devastated too and he's repairing my boiler and the whole time just broken heart he's just like oh such a nice guy he would give me these big tips for no reason he would say to me wow what a terrible situation he kept saying and you know at the end of it he looked at me and just said you know I just been feeling so sad the whole time I'm here but I don't know. I feel like you're going to be okay, he said to me. Oh. And I feel like I need to say that to you. And he says, you're going to be okay. And, you know, here's my card. Oh. Anything happens with the boiler, just give me a call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm reminded, too, of, of when you went to the beach on the anniversary, your, what, what would have been your anniversary? Oh, yes. After Angel died, it was <laughs> July, right? And Yes. And, uh, and you were feeling, I mean, you can tell the story better, but it was just another one of those moments. Yes. It was really present. Yeah. I went, so I went to the beach. I love to just stare at the ocean. I can't really get in the water, but I like to stare at the ocean. I'm really inspired to write when I yeah. sit by the ocean. So I just went by myself that day. My daughter had 
put this whole video together, which was beautiful um, for the anniversary of us. Wow. And I clicked into it while I was on the beach by myself. And so I was just crying and feeling so sad and um, not really knowing what to do with myself. I think I started to pray and then write a little bit. Um, but as I was leaving, there was a couple that were parked near my car and the lady said can I say something to you and I'm thinking oh gosh I don't want to talk to anyone right now <laughs> but she looked at me and she says I know you don't know me and I don't know why but I just feel that you know I need to encourage you and tell you that you know you're going to be okay everything's going to be okay and there was this encouragement that poured out of her mm. Um, then I knew could only be God. These are people who he's, he picked strangers because sometimes you need to see, to believe. And so he picked strangers that didn't know my situation, random strangers yeah. that did not know the circumstances in detail to say things that I would then know it could only be God. Yeah. Yeah. And that was yeah. one of those times. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it hasn't stopped. Every, every <laughs> week something else breaks in the house or there's something else. Or, and each time I just feel God wrap his arms around me and assure mm. me that I'm not alone. Mm. Yeah. And that's what he does for his children. Yeah. All of us. Right. We're all his right. children. No yeah. favorite. So I wonder, I mean, you know, in all that you've gone through, you know, you talked about moments of despair and, you know, your, your children going through so much and um, the grief um, and loss and shock and um, living under that cloud of prognosis and then, you know, finding your way in the midst of it really um, and God's hand, you know, with you throughout all of this. Um, so I, I imagine that, you know, for whoever's listening that, um, one or more of those things really is like touched home for them. Mm -hmm. And so there may be people that are grieving or in shock or, you know, with a prognosis or the oxygen tank for the first time or whatever it is, um, isolation, um, what words do you have, um, for them? What, mm -hmm. What might you say? Well, especially now with COVID, I'm kind of in a house arrest situation where I can't go anywhere and my treatments are at home. And so I do miss seeing people. Um, but there are ways to, to find peace and to find comfort in the midst of that, of whatever circumstance. I find that when my spirit is strong, then my physical and my emotional follows right along with that. Mm -hmm. um, even if I'm still having symptoms, mm -hmm. if my spirit is strong, then I'm able to get through the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And basically the only solution and option that I found that works is, is pressing into God, is hanging on to him like the woman with the issue of blood did. She knew that he was her source of drawing strength mm -hmm. and, and spiritual fortitude. And so she hung in there. And so when we hang on to God that way, then he has no choice but to turn around and look at us and give mm -hmm. us what we need. And what we really need is to know that he's with us, that he is all-knowing, he's all-powerful. Mm -hmm. Whatever we have need of is found in him. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. You know, yeah. he's the one that comes when you're, you can go from crying and just being um, in turmoil one minute. And then the Holy Spirit comes and brings that assurance. He mm -hmm. said that he will leave his Holy Spirit with us. That's what Jesus yeah. said. And he did. So the Holy Spirit comes to remind <clears throat> and to encourage and when he does that, then we're able to keep moving and whatever, whether it's taking one step at a time, 
some right. people, you know, it sometimes is one step at a time. Sometimes it's just a turnaround situation like I experienced that time years ago where I was able to find that that was the source to keep me moving in my trials, yeah. which was to continue to make that decision. It is a decision to say, God, um, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to hang on to you because the alternative is despair. Hmm. There's, there's nothing good. The alternative is there's nothing good. I yeah. would be defeated and destroyed. Um, so, so when you say hang on for someone who might not kind of, hmm. say, well, then how do, how do I do that hanging on? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, sometimes my prayers are cries, you know, hmm. it's just crying. Um, sometimes it's just one word. Sometimes it's no words. It's just acknowledging God. I can't see you, but I know you're there. Mm. And bringing all those emotions and all that to him, um, reading my Bible and taking in his word and saying, okay, what do you say about this? You know, I know what the doctors say. I know what I believe sometimes. I know what other people say, but what do you say? Mm, yes, yeah. And then it's a choice again. Do I trust that those words are his promises to me? And that they won't fail. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a choosing each time to either believe that or not. And then it's not that you're going to automatically be filled with faith. But I think in surrendering that unbelief or in surrendering the unknowns mm -hmm. and just kind of trusting, saying, okay, well, I'm going to wait and see. And then God will show up. Yeah. And also surrounding ourselves with people. I know that's important. And for me, we've had to get really creative. Uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in the warm weather, we're able to meet outside at distance. Um, if not, I meet people through my glass door in the winter or through <laughs> Zoom. Or, I mean, there's just different ways of trying to connect. Um, we definitely need people that are encouraging that when we forget our faith when we forget who we are and who God is for us, we need other people to come along and say, Hey, remember? Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, I think too, a lot of people, you know, think, Oh, well, you know, you're so faithful, but I'm having this moment of despair or I'm, I'm in this place of despair or despondent. And I don't know, I don't know right now, but I think, I think just as you said, that's when you need people around you. And yeah. everyone goes through it. The, the, the people who are, you know, you would never think, you know, <laughs> right. oh, they're so such amazing believers. They must never right. care. They must never be despondent. But um, everyone, you know, especially with all that you're going through has yeah. those moments. For me, so. it's a daily thing. It's a daily struggle. And yeah, it's not that I wake up and I'm like, yay, you know, <laughs> I have all this faith to take this on. I don't. Every day it's, I do, I wake up to physical pain every day, which is awful. I almost dread mornings. And so I wake up and it's, okay, God, I need you because I can't get through this day without you. Yeah. And as I do that, he comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has to, it would defy his character and who he is right. right yeah yeah and I think it's just so good to know that it's a choice you know and it's it's not always easy either. it's not like, you're not it's just not. kind of here we go another day no, who in the bible had it easy I mean everyone <laughs> was either you know was persecuted or killed or yeah. I mean you read about Job yeah. this man lost everything and everyone around him Talk about being stripped of everything. And then the only friends that he had were questioning his faith and questioning right. even um, right. how righteous he was. Um, and, and sometimes those things happen because we live in this broken, fallen world. 
and and God sometimes will allow those things because mm -hmm. he knows the other side of that. Mm -hmm. See, we don't know the other side of that. Mm -hmm. There was a time where I was looking at my children and my circumstance and I said, God, so it says that everyone in heaven, there's no crime, there's no suffering. And I said, how in the world is my husband looking at all this and not feeling at all any kind of, you know, sadness? Yeah. And I just heard it clearly. God say, well, because he's already in eternity. He knows the full picture. You don't. You're just like in this limited space of time yeah and we are we don't know at all the future unless god reveals it to us and so we just don't have an understanding of what eternity is and what our future is right right what we do know is that god loves us and has a, a plan and a purpose for us and it's for hope and for a future right and so whatever it looks like it cannot stay that way yeah it's got to shift somewhere yeah 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 oh this has been so amazing to talk uh, with you and i'm so here um i know <laughs> i've seen for years that um so many more people need to hear you <laughs> and i'm so glad that whoever has taken the time to listen has has um been able to hear your um yeah, your faith, your profound faith and um, and strength and courage and just insight through all of this. Um, well, you've been a big part of the team that has helped lift me and encourage me and remind me. Yeah. It, it's just kind of the dynamics between us when we come into each other's presence. It's this stirring of faith and encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder before we go, um, would you uh, feel comfortable offering prayer for whoever's sure. tuned in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if anyone needs prayer, I don't know who you are. If you're in a situation that seems hopeless, mm -hmm. if you have ongoing challenges that seem beyond your control, um, it's actually a good thing because God is the one that's in control. He's the one that mm -hmm. has the answers and everything that you have need of. Mm -hmm. So I pray that you would find encouragement and hope. Mm -hmm. I pray that God will surround you with people that will reveal him to you, mm -hmm. that will inspire your faith. If you have a little bit as a mustard seed, the Bible says that if you have faith as a mustard seed, just that little bit of mustard seed will grow. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone that's listening. May you continue to reveal yourself as the God that you are. You are the God of the universe. There is nothing that you can't do. We thank you that you are bigger than our circumstances, that our prognosis, you are bigger than the things that are going on in this world. You are bigger than anything that goes on within our bodies and around us. And so help us to see you for who you are. Mm -hmm. I pray, Lord, that you would fill each person that is listening with your Holy Spirit and that you would bring comfort and peace to each and every one in Jesus name. Amen. And God, I just thank you so much for Jeannie. God, I pray that you would continue to bless her. I thank you so much for her time um, today and taking time through all that she's going through right now um, to bless so many others. I just pray for continued healing, for freedom from pain, um, and help her to know, especially this day, um, how you've made her so wonderfully, how you have made her to um, testify to you and to inspire others. Mm. I thank you and I praise you for Jeannie. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. Well, um, gosh, I'm so thankful for you, Jeannie, and um, to whoever has joined us. We're so thankful you've taken the time to join us. And um, yeah, look out for more um, in this series of Spirituality Through Our Struggle. Um, I'll be doing more interviews with others as well. So um, tune in for more. This episode of In the Midst of It All was made possible by the generous support of the Yale Cancer Center, Yale New Haven Hospital, the Yale Palliative Care Program, and the Yale New Haven Department of Spiritual Care. Huge gratitude for Rodney Staggers, a man with cerebral palsy who helped birth this idea and has been a huge creative motivator. Thank you to Ellen Hoverkamp, an artist with metastatic lung cancer, who created the artwork for our podcast. You can find her artwork at myneighborsgarden.com. A big shout out to Emily Montemerlo, who, among other things, helps edit the stories you have heard and who just is a lovely support in every way. And Ryan McAvoy, who helps record and edit the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit that subscribe button and tell your friends. It would mean so much to us and to all our podcast guests if you would leave it a review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear how this podcast has helped you. Okay, friends, we will post our next story and interview soon. But in the meantime, check out more stories on the Yale New Haven Hospital Yale Cancer Center website. This is In the Midst of It All with me, Chaplain Jane.